0: Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. Here today with my guy, Jerry Brewer, the excellent columnist for the paper, uh, who is back from NFL training camp in Richmond with the uh, the local professional team and ready to talk about basketball, uh, the sport. He, I think it's safe to say, would rather be covering than not being at training camp in 100 degree weather in August. I would guess. Uh, yes. What's going
1: on, man? Not much, man. Just enjoying the air conditioning. (laughs) Uh,
0: I know we're going to talk about basketball, but can you uh, can you give people kind of an idea of what I mean, I've done the training camp thing a bunch of times, as is anybody basically who's covered uh, sports. Can you kind of give people an idea of what life is like? I mean, you you said you were there, I think, the first five or six days. So what what is life like for somebody uh, covering training camp like that, you know, for a for a paper paper like you were?
1: It's it's always fun, but it's a bit of a grind in that the morning starts relatively early. And then if you're not careful, your day can can go pretty long. And so it'll start to feel like Groundhog's Day, which personally, that's something that I hate. Like I like to I need to have at least an hour of time to myself. I don't like to just jump from work to work to work to work to work like that. Uh, so that's kind of the, the the difficult part is like mentally – you can feel that you're lost in this world and it's the only thing that matters, and nothing else in the world exists um so it's it's kind of like sometimes you can feel like you're 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 in this uh like you're in this cage and you can see the rest of the world, but you can't get to it uh, and that that's probably the difficult part, but uh I mean the, the sports part of it is always fun for all of us you know even the things that stress us out in the big picture we're always going to look back right and say hey that was a that was sports that was great that was fun i'm happy that i have these opportunities in this job but kind of for for the skins training camp they do a, a walkthrough walk through practice uh for uh, from like 10:30 to 11:30 then the players are available coming off the field uh for about a half hour um, and then they practice from 3 to 5 so On the ideal day, you get what you need uh, in that first media availability right after practice. You write like crazy, uh, and then you go out and you watch practice, and then you talk to players uh, at 5 o'clock hoping to get a jump start on the next day. Uh, The problem that comes into play is if if, if there's anything about your day that allows you not to be able to focus on producing content between, say, noon and 3 o'clock, well, then your day is going to sprawl and it can extend. I mean, there have been times in the past, Tim, where I've been there at 8, 9 o'clock at night, only to show up again at, at uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, Fortunately, I figured out how to work more, more of a, a day ahead, and, and that's helpful. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's, it's, it's the funniest time of year because it always produces the same types of stories, and if you don't do those types of stories, I don't think you're fully vetting the team. Right, and it's a it's it's always optimistic, you know, in any sport. Spring training, NBA training camp, NFL training camp, uh, fall camp for college football. It's all the same. Everyone is optimistic, and they think they're going to be better than what they really are. But uh, and you just slowly kind of walk it through. You know, I I, I like being there at the beginning all the way to the end with a team because I just think you you get a feel of the nuance. You know, Even though I'm a columnist and I bounce from sport to sport to sport, I don't feel like I'm any good unless I'm able to get that nuance of certain teams. And other people are better at just kind of parachuting in, doing what they do, and then rushing out. But I need to, to, I need to have a feel uh, before I can write, write a column.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, it's tough. Um, it's tough trying to go from uh, thing to thing. You know, um, you know, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy to try to to go to cover you know every team in DC and still feel like you know what uh, what's going on. I mean, that that's always a that's always a that's always a tricky thing. Um, you know, because you like can't fool
1: the readers either. Right? Exactly. But- Exactly they know that, that, that all of us probably cover two or three sports and then um, all of us have, have holes in, in what we do. You know, it's not like I'm writing a, a ton of uh capitals and hockey columns. Right. And although I would rather uh, do more nationals and do more baseball, uh we got with a lot of Bar- people doing that. Yeah, I mean with Boz who is the best baseball columnist in the business and with uh Barry Slaruga who's uh been a columnist less for a year he's very good and he is incredible on baseball it's kind of like you know let me slide into the third position here so i haven't done as much as i'd like this year but and it's been heavily nfl and, and and nba and college basketball for me and that's fine for now
0: yeah that's uh yeah, I mean that's that's always you know that's that's kind of the balance that, that we all have to walk. Like you said, I mean I'm in a unique spot because I just really only cover one sport now. But you know for you know for a columnist like you and your job, you have to try to um, to try to balance. You know, like you said, looking like you can, you know what you're talking about about everything, which isn't easy, especially in you know today's media environment where you know with you know so many people that are specializing in one sport. Um, you know, for a general columnist like yourself you know, it, you have to try to keep up with everything, which isn't easy. But the reason, that's why I wanted to have you on, because you are able to do that. And you, not too long ago, wrote a really good column about kind of the state of the Wizards franchise after, you know, a pretty impactful summer for them. They get Otto Porter to come back, uh paying you know, pay them a max contract. They're going to be in the luxury tax for the first time. Uh, You know, and most importantly, they, they convinced John Wall to sign a, a long-term extension with the team that guarantees he's going to be with the team, you know, for the next five seasons, um, you know, which is, you know, a really, I think pretty monumental moment for the franchise. So, um, you know, from your standpoint, kind of looking at the Wizards and how things have played out the last, you know, few weeks, um, you know, where do you, where do you think the franchise stands at this point, you know, compared to, you know, the rest of your tenure so far in, in DC?
1: Well, this is exactly the way they wanted the summer to go the only thing is they wish that otto hadn't have gotten wouldn't have gotten an offer sheet and maybe they could have brought him back for a few few million less but they i think they realized that was likely unrealistic that mm-hmm. someone was going to offer him the max so they matched it i, I think this is a test of, of what they built now you know that they feel that they are stable uh they think they have one of the more talented young teams in the NBA and they think that they can only go up from here they see 51 seasons for the next three, four, five years, and, and um, that next season is going to be interesting. It's either going to verify that or it's going to open up a hole that maybe those of us who are optimistic about the team don't see right now. Uh, and uh, more than anything, I think so much is going to be predicated on how they do in the postseason next year. Yep, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to say hey, we're a young team that's advanced to the second round three out of four years. If that becomes four out of five years, uh, that means that you're stuck. And people will start to say, you know, there's a ceiling on this team. This team is only so good. Uh, In the landscape of the East, is it possible for them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals and challenge for for a spot uh, in the finals? I'm not sure, but that's kind of the incremental improvement that I think people are going to want to see before they say, "Okay, you are verified in my skeptical mind as one of the best young teams in the league." And uh, if they if they do hit that wall, I think you're setting yourselves up for a very interesting summer of, of 2018 as they possibly try to make a move or two to get to the next level.
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of look. You kind of look over the last. Um, the last three years and it's been a real roller coaster for them, right? I mean, you know, you go back to twenty fifteen and they're coming off making the second round of the playoffs or a second year in a row. They got, you know, a young backcourt with John Wall and um and Bradley Beal Looks like they're really on the ascendancy. They're they're talking about trying to go get Kevin Durant in free agency. Um the following year they missed the playoffs completely. Uh, John Wall has surgery on both of his knees uh the the franchise you know is kind of in disarray they fire randy whitman they hire scott brooks kevin doesn't even give him a meeting um you know they go splash a lot of cash and for agency on a, on a bunch of guys to try to run out their bench it doesn't really work um and then you you come to this season and you know the wizards are back exactly where they were two years ago uh our porter has a great year um you know they make the second round they go seven games with the celtics uh, you know, arguably should have won that series. Blew a couple games. They should have won probably in the first couple games. Um, you know, and then you know they get John to commit. They keep Otto. They go into the tax for the first time. Um, you know, it has been it has been really interesting to see kind of the ups and downs over the last couple of years. And like you said, next year does really feel like it's going to be a pivotal season for them. That's going to kind of like you said, either validate that this franchise is one of the top four teams in the East and is going to be for a while, um, or is going to kind of have them go the other direction and have people start to go, well, "Wait a minute! What was the point of spending all this money if this team isn't even going to be, you know, one of the elite teams in a conference that doesn't really have any?" And
1: and and for me, I just, you know, my my thing is, I think they did what what absolutely any other franchise would have done in this situation. You know, you double down on these guys because Otto and, and Bradley Beal are 24 years old and John is. 26 about to turn 27. I mean, you're still talking about guys who are subprime players who've been highly productive. But there is this probably because the Wizards, uh, once again, it's been 38 years since they won 50 games. And they've just been down for so long, either mediocre or bad, that people just don't want to buy into anything with them. And so there's been a lot of pessimism about uh, signing Otto Porter to a, a max deal but i just think that's just the way they needed to do business and and i'm I, i'm i don't feel like there's anything for this franchise there's nothing wrong if they had a run uh, let's say they're they're 4 years into it right let's say they extended for four more years and it's something like seven playoff appearances in eight years and let's just say they're able to get to the conference finals one of those years there's nothing wrong with a run of consistency like that i mean i think people are uh, sometimes I have these these unrealistic expectations that in that you're going to turn down this because it doesn't guarantee you a championship when you've been lucky just to win 40 games for most of the past four decades. So why do you want to say no to this? And I, and, I, and I and I look at at uh, the Dallas Mavericks, Tim. You know, mm-hmm. a, a franchise before pre Mark Cuban. You know, they, they had they had winning times and then they had really down times. Uh, and what they have been able to do under Cuban is they just kept on knocking on the door. Yep. And good teams, you know, obviously having Dirk for all these years has been huge for them. Uh, they had a long consistent run of making the playoffs that ended last year. And then what happened in, in 2011, they break through and they're able to beat the heatles before they really became the heatles and they won a championship. And sometimes people don't want to put in that work, but I think if you're looking for a Wizards franchise that is not going to attract mega, mega free agents consistently, I think there's nothing wrong with that road. You know, maybe this era puts you in a position moving forward to where you're more and more relevant. And then all of a sudden when you get your opportunity, you take advantage of it. But I look at the Atlanta Hawks as well. I mean, you're talking about a franchise that has made the postseason for a decade straight. And they... Uh, they were really reluctant to to kind of blow this up, let Paul Millsap go, uh, you know, let out, lose Al Horford, all of that, um, and rebuild because they know how hard it is. But for an Atlanta franchise that had been down for so long or mediocre for so long, there's great value in what they were able to do making the playoffs for nine, ten years in a row. And now as they try to try to rebuild this thing, at least they're operating from a foundation of relevance as opposed to just scrambling, searching, hoping that some magical free agent is going to come and rescue them.
0: The wizards have been around for fifty five years okay uh, going back to when they were the Chicago Packers in nineteen sixty one um, you know so this is a franchise that's that's been around for for most of the history of the nBA mm-hmm. uh, they they have made the playoffs in a total of about half of those seasons. And in the last uh, 30 years, or really, I guess, 29 years, going back to the 87, the 88, 88, 89 season, they've made the playoffs eight times. So if if they made the playoffs seven, out, if they make the playoffs the next four years, or let's say they make the playoffs every year, John's of extension, right? Let's, let's say they make it the next five, right? Yeah. And they go eight out of nine years uh, uh-huh. making the playoffs. The 25 years before that run started, they made the playoffs five times. <laughs> so like, you know, I, again, this, you, you said it well before, I, I think in the, in the era we live in now, um, you know, it's kind of the in vogue thing. You know, there's some writers who like to, to write a lot about how teams just got to blow it up. You just got to blow this up and start over. And you gotta, you gotta just, you know, you gotta rebuild because you don't have a chance to win a championship. That's kind of like the, the invoke thing to write, right. That you need to, you need to punt and start over. So, like, yep. well, everybody can't punt and uh-huh. you look at a team, you know, like, you know, where I'm living now, the Golden State Warriors, and they were essentially the Washington Wizards for, you know, basically the last, you know, for the last 30 years. I mean, they're a team that, you know, up until 2013, they had made the playoffs once in 20 years. Yeah. And that was, that was the year when they, they had the We Believe team and they'd made the playoffs, you know a grand total of six times in 35 years, uh, since the mid seventies, like the Warriors, when they, they wanted their one championship or like the, like the, like the wizards. I mean, so, so that was a team that was a laughing stock. I mean, people forget that now because, um, because of the run they've had lately. But I mean, from 1995 until 2012, the most wins, you know, they had 48 wins in one season and they had 42 wins the season before. That was the only two seasons they were over 500 in almost 20 years. Yep. And they slowly built a competent team, and then they had a little luck. They had a couple guys do better than they expected, and all of a sudden they were a team that people wanted to go play for. I mean, you you said before that the Wizards are a franchise that's never really going to attract a big free agent. I disagree with that. I think Washington, to me, is a market that players would like to play in but the team has been a joke for such a long time that no one right. has any interest in going there. I mean, no one ever wanted to come sign with the Warriors, right? And now, right. They, now they have guys taking discounts. They have Kevin Durant coming to play here and leaving a, a championship team to come play here. And, like, they become a team that everybody wants to come play for because they're winning. And they're in a good market. Right. So, I think, if the, I think, it's, I think you're 100% right. Like, I think Washington, there, there is a lot of value in establishing yourself as a legitimate franchise. I mean, look at Toronto, right? Look at the last mm-hmm. few years the Raptors have had. If, if the Raptors were a place nobody wanted to go play, um, nobody wanted to sign there, and now they've had their best run in history. They made a conference finals. They've won, you know, set records for most wins. They've done all that stuff. So now you have players that are saying, hey, you know, DeMar DeRozan could have gone home to L.A., right? Chose to stay with the, with the Raptors. Kyle Lowry, you know, maybe didn't have the most options this summer, but still he agrees he's an all-star point guard who agreed to stay there. Serge Ibaka agreed to stay there. Like now you've got an infrastructure in place where guys are willing to stay and build something. And I'm with you. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people, you know, as a kind of a newcomer relatively to the Washington um, sports scene, you know, there's just a lot of pessimism there about everything. And some of it's justified because the city's had some bad luck in the playoffs the last couple decades. But um, it 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 is kind of remarkable to me how so often, no matter what happens, it's met with, well, yeah, this was a mistake. Like as far as Otto Porter goes, what is that? What you have to look at that signing for somebody who says, well, they shouldn't have maxed him out and kept him. Okay, well, if the if the Wizards didn't max out Otto Porter and keep him, like once he got the offer sheet from Brooklyn, what are they going to do to replace him? Exactly. They had no avenue to replace him. So you either the have best Otto- thing
1: they could have done was was. Well, if you lost him, you're probably bringing back Boyan Bogdanovich, who is is not a great.
0: He's an inferior, starting three. Yeah, he's an inferior player. Nice player. Inferior player. But player. An inferior player.
1: And then you're going to you'd probably use. So that would have cost you know uh, what did he he signed for what so eleven about, he million signed dollars?
0: For, I think ten million plus a partial guarantee. So that's I mean it's ten million plus you would probably use your mid level exception plus you'd use your full mid level exception.
1: So yep. we're talking let's say uh That's that's let's just say that's nineteen million. Let's say
0: they got the best case scenario they could have got, which is CJ Miles for I think I think he signed for three years for the full mid level.
1: Yeah, so you you look at that and you're like that that, that that's not that's not going to help you. That's not going to get you to the next level. It's certainly uh, not. A,
0: it's and you can argue maybe that it's about as good, but you certainly can't argue that it's a miles better option. No, you know, as opposed to keeping your your. 24-year-old start, you know, starting small forward who already fits with your team, is very happy to play alongside those guys, and and, here, and, and fits with what you're trying to do. And here's the other thing.
1: You don't get John Wall to commit uh, and sign a Supermax if you did that. He'd look at you and he'd say, well, we're just not willing to spend the money to keep our own players, let alone uh, go out and, and be creative to to add another star to the mix. You know, I mean, let's not forget this summer started with this this pipe dream of Paul George possibly being traded here if you could convince Indiana to take Otto and and, and John was active in that. Um people misinterpreted it as John as John meaning something negative to Otto Porter. He didn't mean that. He's just trying to get another All Star. He was a great two way player. Yeah. Uh even Otto admitted, you know, hey, I know. I can't fault them for having conversations about that. He's Paul George, so anyway, the summer starts there. It yep. couldn't start there, and then and then it end with CJ Miles, and that just would have been ridiculous. And yep. uh, you know, you talk to anybody else around the league about Otto Porter, no one is going to call him a superstar, but everybody would love to have Otto Porter on their team. Right, so the guy, right, the guy is a decent. And he's a decent defensive player, but he's a he, he tries hard on that end of the floor. Uh, he does all the little things. He's, he's a, a really he's a wing player. That,
0: he's a wing player that plays defense and hits threes. And yep. there are none of them in the league. I mean, look if if you put in a vacuum, what is Otto Porter's value just in a vacuum? Right? If you could sign him to like the logical, reasonable number, it's probably somewhere between sixteen or seventeen and twenty million dollars. Yeah, sure. So, okay. He let's say he let's say in a, a neutral market he signs for four for eighty because he's a young player, which is probably fairly reasonable. Well, sure. okay, so the Wizards paid four million dollars a year more for him. Like that's fine. That's
1: and fine. the market told you that you had to do it. That's right. That's so It right. wasn't like they just magically decided, hey, we want to pay this guy more than any of you imagine that we would. The market said, you know what, to keep him this uh, this restricted free agent to keep him, you have to match. $106.5 million. So that's about as fair of a deal as, as you're going to get in the NBA. Yep. If the market told you that's what you had to do. That's what you did. You're able to retain your third best player. And then you move on. And, and uh, again, he's the kind of guy who's going to get better. You know, he, he's, he's been in D.C. for the past, what, six years, going back to his time at Georgetown. That's all he's done is just gradually improve his game. Uh, he's not someone who is going to, Spend a ridiculous amount of time in the club. He's not someone who is going to be, uh, get lazy because he got the money. Uh, He is, he's going to get better, just like Bradley Beal got better after he signed his Max deal, just like John Wall got better after he signed his Max deal.
0: Yep. And look, like again, I was at the award show in late June and talked to talk to John about what his decision-making process on his extension was going to be. And he said, here's what he said. I just want to kind of see what they do throughout free agency, talk to my family, my agency, and my managers and see what we want to do. I def, it's definitely a place I want to be. I've just got to make sure things are going in the right direction and make sure we're building a team the way we want to be and not get locked into a situation where you might not feel comfortable. Like, look, does John Wall necessarily, is is John Wall thrilled that they're paying out Porter a max contract as opposed to getting somebody like Paul George? I'm sure he's not. But... Otto Porter's a good player, and the Wizards went and kept him, are going to pay the tax, and made a statement to him that they're a team that's going to do what it takes to have a really good team in the Eastern Conference. And I think there's little doubt that that played a part in him agreeing to sign that extension. I mean, there's no question that some of it's that I think John can make All-NBA next year, but it's going to be tough. And if he doesn't, he doesn't have the chance to, make this, to get, sign this extension, and that's a, that makes it a little trickier. But, I mean, th- the bottom line is that John didn't have to sign, and the fact that he was willing to is validation for the, the path the Wizards are on, and it's proof that for people who wanted to be skeptical about them deciding to max Otto and other, the other moves they made, that their best player thinks they're going in the right direction, which should be enough, uh, which would be enough to, to convince anybody that they're doing the right things.
1: Yes, yes. And so I think people look at this as, they often look at it just flatly and say, all right. They made this big commitment. This is all the wizards are going to be or can be for the next five years, which is not true. There's always going to be movement. I think that Otto Porter's uh, contract is max deal is a real key to having options moving forward. I mean, you, uh, it's it's you know, it's kind of funny how it's a four year deal and you know a, a four year deal. Uh, gets a lot more manageable very quickly. You know, you look at it as this massive deal that you can't get out from under. I don't agree with that. I think that it, it, it's one, you know, a year from now, uh, when, when he doesn't have his no trade. I mean, we're talking he's going to have three years. and the last year's however, option. Yeah, and 80-something million left on, on his contract. And uh, if the guy is continuing to be... Uh, a player who's continuing to get better and a guy who's going to continue to shoot in the 40%, 40 to 44% on three pointers. uh, There's going to be great value for him around the league. And if you're continuing to win at a high level, his value is going to shoot up even more. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that by retaining him, uh, an opportunity might sprout in which you're able to bring an established all star here for him. And let's not count out the fact that uh, who knows how much better he's going to get I mean on he's not going to average 23 points a game on this team, but uh, you know I mean it's not out of the realm of, of possibility for him to average seventeen points seven and a half rebounds in addition to being the guy who plays defense and does all the little things that helps that helps him win and and he doesn't need the ball you don't have to it, it doesn't change having him on the floor doesn't change Bradley Beal's game it doesn't change John Wall's game uh, whether he's going to get 12 shots or whether it's a game in which he gets 18 19 shots uh Otto Porter is going to be fine and uh, there's a tremendous value in a guy who has that level of talent who is that unselfish about the way that he plays
0: yeah no it's it's re- it's it's really true um it's really true um and it, it, you know it does it does leave them you know, in a situation where they do have options. And again, it's like if they hadn't, you know, it, it all comes back to the same thing, which is that when you are making decisions in free agency, it's all about the opportunity cost lost. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, last summer they went and signed, you know, they, they took their swing at Al Horford and they, they had chances to do a couple things, um, but they – you know, they, they ended up spending money because they, they looked at it and said, well, we have to spend this money because we're not going to be able to. We need to try to improve this team because we're in a place where we can take another step forward. So, you know, they they spent money then. Obviously, some of those moves have not worked out. Uh, but this summer, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, if we don't if we don't max Otto Porter for, or the Wizards and we let him go, like we said before, the opportunity cost was, it, it wasn't like they, they missed out on a better opportunity. And now, like you said, the hope is that, you know, if Otto Porter could take another step forward, especially as a player, you know, if the Wizards are going to get a third star, it's going to be via a trade. And, you know, if, if Otto can take another step and be a guy that's, like I said, a 3 and D wing that 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 nobody in the league has and everybody's trying to find, well, maybe that can help you get a guy like DeMarcus Cousins or some other guy that shakes free. Um, you know, or maybe the you can do some kind of sign and trade with the – um, with the Thunder for Paul George. You can, you can do something, uh, and at least it gives you an option and an asset that you otherwise wouldn't have.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's all about keeping your assets at, 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 a, at a fair market price, and that's what they've been able to do. You know, Tim, one of the things that fascinates me about John Wall and him signing this four-year, $170 million extension is I think that um, when we talk about the NBA and super teams right now, I think a lot of t- a lot of guys are making those decisions to try to combine with other great players out of ambition, but I think a lot of players are also making those decisions out of fear. Uh in that in that that I'm 28 years old. I'm in my prime. Um I'm not sure I'm going to be able to win a championship because Golden State is so good. Yep. Because LeBron is going to play until he's 50. Yep. Uh all of these other things, I gotta go. I really, I really, really would rather carry a team, but I gotta go combine with this guy, or else my legacy is going to be ruined. I'm never gonna win anything, and um, it, it's uh, it very it very much speaks to who John Wall is that he's not afraid to go do what he wants to do. He didn't want to leave, uh, and, and as as attractive as as L.A. would seem for a guy like John Wall. Um, especially for uh, endorsement money and, and off the field, off the court riches. Uh, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to stay. He wanted this, He wanted it to be his team. And he wanted to stay with the team that drafted him. And he wants to see this thing go as far as it can go. And so now the Wizards have an opportunity to take this to, uh, basically, John will be on the doorstep of, of 32 years old. And uh, that's ample opportunity. In the NBA, you know, it's it's an incredible um, rarity nowadays. It seems for guys to stay for a third contract with a team that hasn't really sniffed um, a championship, and so they got to take advantage of this opportunity because across the league, guys either have greater ambition and want to go to a surer thing, or they're just flat afraid that opportunities are going to pass them by, so they leave even though. I think that a lot of them are more comfortable where they are.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. And look, I think, um, you know, look, I, I think today, you know, what's the latest headline today? That Michael Jordan has said he thinks Kobe's better than, than LeBron. And the reason why is, I think, so the quote was something along the lines of, there's something about five that's better than three, right? So,
1: Which is I mean, stupid to me. I mean, I just, it's just it's, dumb, well, dumb. Of
0: course. It's, to- it's, it's, it's idiotic. You know, it's the same reason why people think that Kyrie Irving is better than John Wall as a player when he's not. Uh we'll get to Kyrie in a minute. Um but it, it it's uh I, I think when you talk about guys like worrying like looking around and trying to find um uh trying to find places to go win, I mean that's what this comes back to, right? It comes back to guys yes. looking at it and seeing that People are going to kill them if they don't win, which is stupid because that's, you know, only one team can win every year. And like guys like Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and Carl Malone work and David, you know, David Robinson eventually won. But it's not like those guys are crap players. Um, right. Uh, you know, they're all Hall of Fame players, you know, so I, I don't even necessarily think it's a, a criticism of anybody. And I don't even want to necessarily give John uh, a ton of credit because, He's also, the money's so good. The money, <laughs> right? Like he got a gigantic contract he couldn't get from anybody else. So, yeah. um, but, but but I think you know it it does it, it does speak to at some level to him being comfortable with the fact that if it doesn't work out and it doesn't and he doesn't win, it's okay, um, and that he he's comfortable having his own ship and trying to do it himself, which I, I do think he deserves credit for. Um, but I, I and I and I do think it's unfortunate that. Um, we have gotten to this point where it's, you know, like if you haven't won a championship, it is an embarrassment to your legacy, uh, you know, where a guy like Steve Ash never won a championship and people will, you know, kind of knock him for that and, and different players you know, who haven't won anything, um, you know, because it, 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 everybody can't win. And I, especially in a sport like basketball, where you look over time and Bill Russell won 11 times, uh, Michael Jordan won six times. You Know the Kobe's won five times, LeBron's won three times. Well, there's you know what 22 or uh, you know, there's there's yeah, there's there's 20 actually more than that. We there's have, 25, there's 25 championships right there that four teams won.
1: Yeah, we haven't you even know. gotten into magic and Tim Duncan, right? Exactly, that's months. right. Tim
0: Duncan and magic each won five. There's 35 right there. So, yeah. five, that's guys, half the titles. five guys led 35 teams to titles.
1: Yeah, that's half the titles in NBA history. Yes.
0: <laughs> so you know, at some point you start to run, you know, like Jerry West, man, it, like Elgin Baylor never won a championship. Like is Elgin Baylor, not an all-time great player. Of course he is. So it, it is, it is really disappointing that it has become this binary thing. And it's the same thing with these teams. It, it goes back to what we were talking about before where, you know, people saying that, well, if you can't win a championship, you have to just tear this down and start over. Like the Raptors of the last five years are a prime example of a team, you know, taking a step forward as a franchise, and you know, making themselves more relevant again, um, you know, and that, like you said, that's a that's not a bad, uh, um, that is a good that is a good thing for the Wizards, a team that hasn't won anything to try to do. I mean, they should try to emulate what Golden State did. Um, they're probably not going to get the breaks that Golden State did, but if they become a good franchise that people want to play for, um, all of a sudden, that's going to have free agents look twice at your team and have yeah, you want to go play there.
1: You know, it, it, it's funny because I, it, players get put in non-win situations. Uh, they talk about, well, it's all about the ring, and then when you go do something to enhance your chances to get the ring, people want to discredit you because you are you joined and you played with another star. Uh, not to, and, and people forget about certain things that, that uh, some organizations have just been incredibly good at putting stars together. Uh, when you think about Magic and Kareem, and then he was able to get Worthy when they were already a championship team. They were able to get Byron Scott with the number four overall pick in the draft when they were already a championship team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Auerbach did it throughout his time with the Celtics, and you know, it, and then think about if, if Lynn Bias had lived, how that was just going to take them to another level, and and that would have been incredibly interesting. Uh, I I'm not... I I, I don't fault guys who give eight, nine years to their situation and they don't see it going somewhere and then they decide uh, right with that with that contract as they enter their prime that they want to improve their chances of winning a championship. I don't mind that. And then I also don't. uh, It was very interesting to to watch the finals this year and um, people act like like they hadn't seen Kevin Durant do these things before. You know, right. I, I mean, right. ma- ma- maybe you saw him take his defense to another level because he has.
0: He didn't even uh, do that because he played even better defense, I think, last year against the Warriors when he was with against the, the Warriors. Yeah. But, you know,
1: I mean, maybe maybe just because he was able to, like, get some real key stops against LeBron. Right. Maybe that impresses you. But this is the same Kevin Durant that we've seen since, like, his third year in the NBA. Yep. And uh, for some people, they're just like who who had automatically just had this really flat opinion of, oh, he's joining Steph Curry's team. He comes out, he shows out in the finals, he's the MVP, and then now that just it validates him to some people. yep And then the others, you know, they look at the guy and he had one of the better finals of the past 25 years, and they're still saying, oh, well, you just joined the Warriors. It must be a lot easier for him. Yep. It's just that Kevin Durant was given that stage and he was able to show you, exactly who he is and that's why he went there but i mean my respect for him did not go up or down um i've always thought he's he, at the end of his run he's going to be in that conversation of one of the top 15 players of all time bare minimum and uh you know it's good to see him good to see him uh, really take control on the stage but i had no doubt that that was what he was going to do
0: yeah no totally totally agree Um, totally agree. So before, before we go, let's, let's talk a little bit about Kyrie since we brought it up before. Um, you know, I, we've talked a little bit about this off the pod, but what, what is your kind of, uh, general, um, what's kind of your general take on, on this whole, this whole Kyrie situation at the moment?
1: Well, I think, uh, I think Kyrie is, um, one of the most overrated superstar, names in the in the nba i don't think he's a superstar as far as performance but i think when you when you take into account how well his shoes sell and just how people are so mesmerized with his ability to dribble and get buckets
0: stealing um, my column idea <laughs> you, you know but but
1: but i just I, I don't and i think that's what's complicating matters that the real real basketball people who are are looking at this and they're going to have to make a significant trade investment lose significant assets for this guy. I think they're looking at him and they're just saying, you know, he is, he is a dynamic score and offensive weapon, but as an overall basketball player, um, and yes, he can help us sell some tickets, but as an overall basketball player, he's not going to help you win as much as say about 20 other guys in the NBA that I could name off of the top of my head. And that's the complicating factor with Kyrie Irvin. His stardom outweighs his actual basketball impact. And so how do you make a trade? Because the Cleveland is like, this guy is a big time star. You can sell him. You can put him on billboards and he is going to mesmerize you. We want a deal like he's a top 10 player in the league. And I think other teams are saying, you know, he's an all-star. He's a flashy guy. He made a, you know he made big plays in the NBA Finals, made the big shot had 40-point game in the NBA Finals, but he is just not a foundational piece that we feel is just going to elevate our franchise. And um, at the end of the day, uh, Cleveland is going to have to settle on, on the kind of trade they can get if they, want, uh, if they truly do want to trade him. And um, I, I, just, I think it's going to be a really, really complicated and ugly thing to try to make a deal work.
0: I don't think he's going to get traded. And, and the reason why goes to what you just said. I, I, I think you can remove one of, and I think Kyrie is the most overrated player in the NBA. Um, I think he's a very good player. Uh, you can maybe even argue he's a great player because uh, his offensive skills, you know, being able to score are so dynamic. Um, as he proved, you know, making you know the, one of the biggest shots in NBA history in Game 7 of the Finals two years ago and his ability to just score on anybody at any time. He had that huge game uh, when LeBron shot out of Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals this year against Boston. Um, you know, he, he, he's a terrific player. Uh, however, um, you know, he also, uh, while I think he is the most overrated player in the league, probably, he also, I think, is arguably the single best player to play next to LeBron James because his skill set uh, as basically a six-foot-tall shooting guard perfectly aligns with the way LeBron likes to play, with the ball in his hands all the time. Um, and it, it, it allows him to excel in a role that is difficult to play. And frankly, I, I, think, he, um, I think he has you know, played it to a level that um, I think he's played it to a level that, uh, that you know, really nobody else ever has, including Dwayne Wade. I mean, I think you can really argue that that Kyrie is the best sidekick that that LeBron has had. So, you know, I think to your point, it makes trading him exceedingly difficult because uh, you have a team that needs to win now and also needs to try to get real return in a trade for a guy that is really difficult to peg his value because uh, if you're trading for him, it's more for the financial and business side of things. Um, and the way he can really impact the team, than for necessarily what he's going to do on the court. So mm-hmm. how much how much of are you going to be willing to give up for that? I mean, it's a really it's a really interesting um, it's a really interesting dynamic, and that that to me is why I don't think he is going to end up. Um, that's why I don't think he's going to wind up getting traded at all because I, ju- I just think the, the 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 difficulties in trying to move him are going to make it. Um, are going to make it a lot harder than people think to actually find a trade that makes sense for everybody.
1: It seems that Kyrie is willing to make this as messy as it needs to be uh, with, with these rumors that he that, that, that they can't get a hold of him, or that he's not answering or turning their calls, um, and, and some of the, the, the back and forth between his camp and LeBron's camp, uh, the things that, that that he's trying to spread, it seems like he's trying to make this so ugly that Cleveland doesn't have another choice. If I were the Cavs, quite honestly, I would call his bluff and I would just bring this thing back. And uh, um, I think it, it could take most of the first half of the season for those guys to, to get back on the same page. But at the end of the day, LeBron is 33 years old and he's not going to waste an opportunity to chase a chop title. And uh, I think Kyrie uh, has enough pride, um, and I think there's there's enough teammates. I mean, they're they're a weird locker room anyway. <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> I mean, if if there's any team to... that's built to, to 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 deal with this situation in the league, it's the Cavaliers.
1: Right, but they're going to have. I mean, you're still going to have a guy like. Um, I mean, they don't have James Jones anymore, which is a problem. But at least he's still. I have a guy like a Channing Frye still there, right?
0: Yep, Richard Jefferson Uh, is still there. Richard Jefferson's still
1: there. You'd have Ty Lue uh, in both of their ears. So I I think ultimately that could work, especially for LeBron, who uh, this could be his last go-round in Cleveland. He's not going to commit one way or the other. So I I think just bringing the whole thing back and trying it for another year – is in their best interest
0: well and look it, there's nobody there's nobody in the sport that understands it's a business more than lebron does so yeah, you know like you said once you know there there have been plenty of locker rooms we've both been in where everybody's not exactly on the same page right like you can go back to like the the famous line about the bronx about the yankees in the late 70s with the reggie jackson yankees when there was you know 25 guys and 25 calves right and like that's like, there there have been plenty of teams that won big that were dysfunctional. The Cavs have been dysfunctional, basically, the, ever since LeBron got back. There's been, you know, one thing, they fired their coach, and they've had, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I mean, David Griffin, you know, used to always say, you know, this is who we are whenever a crazy stuff happened with them because they, are all, they always had crazy stuff happening. It just <laughs> didn't, matter, didn't matter what the situation was. There was just always somebody, um, you know, saying something crazy or doing something crazy, and, uh, you know, they just kind of learned to deal with that. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think there, I think people saying, like, LeBron will never accept Kyrie back on his team is laughable. I mean, Kyrie, LeBron's not going to be like, yeah, trade him for 40 cents on the dollar just so we get rid of him. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. And, and look, you know, the, the Warriors were about two inches of Zaza Pachulia's head away from Kevin Durant, or less, maybe two millimeters, from Kevin Durant missing the entire rest of the season last March. I mean, if that happened this March, this coming March, well, then who knows? Maybe they can win another championship next year. I mean, it's not like they're head and shoulders above everybody in the East still. So all they got to do is get to the finals and see if everybody's healthy. Um, right. And if they, if they can do that, uh, you know, the, the Warriors are going to win. But there's certainly no guarantee that they're going to be healthy. Just look at everybody who got hurt this year during the playoffs. Look at everybody who got hurt for the Warriors last year during the playoffs. I mean, Kevin Durant probably wouldn't even be a Warrior if Steph Curry was healthy last year, um, or if Draymond Green hadn't got suspended, or one of half a dozen other things didn't happen. Um, But they all did, and the Warriors lost. So, you know, there's certainly no guarantee that this is all just going to be peaches and cream and and work out just fine for them. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's why, to me, I I just think that that LeBron— you know, would welcome him back. And, and if they can't find a trade, you know, if they could find a trade that gets them Eric Bledsoe and Gary Harris or Eric Bledsoe and Carmelo or, or like a couple pieces that, that really help them win right now to give up Kyrie, then I think he'd be like, all right, that's fine. But I don't think he's going to be like, if they trade Kyrie for Josh Jackson, say, or some other young person that is, like you know, like young or in picks just to move them, like that's not going to work for him. So, no. I think that the whole calculus involved there is really difficult, and that, like you, like you said before, I just, I think when you kind of look at the whole situation in total, it's hard for me to see how this plays out in any other way than um, than Kyrie being back because there's just there's just too many balls in the air that have to try to get settled for for such a deal to take place.
1: Yeah, you never put it past anyone in the NBA to to, to figure it out, but right. I I just if you're looking at this as as just a one year thing, which uh, Dan Gilbert has to be looking at it, and the entire organization has to be looking at it as one last shot. Uh, why not just wait a year? I mean, you've got you've got this guy under contract for uh, two more seasons, right? Yep. Uh, j- just just wait a year. You're still going to be able to get pretty good value for him.
0: And look, if LeBron leaves next summer, then you could trade him and Kevin Love for every young every young rebuilding asset you can get, and you could just blow it up and start over. Yes. and nobody will have a problem with that, and you can you'll have all your draft picks going forward because they're all the picks they traded are lottery protected, and they'll be awful. And You can just dump everybody and say, all right, the hell with it. We'll just start over and and rebuild, and and that'll be fine. And you'll have won a championship for the first time in fifty years in the city, and you'll have you know had a great four year run, and then you can move on from everybody. I I mean I don't even think you know there's I don't think there's anybody uh, you know that would bat an eye at that. So you know to me it's like I, there's certainly no reason to to rush into that now and you don't have to.
1: I tell you what, everybody wants to, to place blame and you're either on Team LeBron or Team Kyrie, but this is just all Dan Gilbert's mess. It's all his mess. Sure. A- and uh, it's all his fault. And so, uh, you know, as other people have opined, uh, Woj and some others, I mean, this this is what happens when, when uh, NBA players uh, who have learned how, how to handle the business of the NBA start to try to take ownership of their careers. Yep. But they wouldn't have done a thing probably if it didn't start with Dan Gilbert hedging. He was the first person to hedge. There's yep. no one. I mean, there's just no excuse for not uh, paying what it takes for David Griffin to come back. Um, and so now you don't have that voice. You don't have the Kyrie whisperer, which is kind of what David Griffin was. Oh, well, for sure. And, and, and it only makes things worse. and, and and the respect
0: of everybody, and he he kind of had the pulse of what was going on, and now he's yes. not there.
1: And he, he just, no, he, he's very good at, like, let's take a deep breath here because, like you said, they've had so many moments of tension on that team uh, the past three-plus years. Yep. And And he's been very good at let's take a deep breath here and let's see if we can solve this before we do something drastic. And that's what they need in this situation. I'm just not sure that... Kobe Altman or, or, or Gilbert or anyone has the relationship with Kyrie uh, to feel certain that there's not going to be drama. But at the end of the day, I still look at it and say, you know, Kyrie's a player that has a lot of pride, and it's not like he's going to dog it for a season. And you already kind of know how to work that, that mix between he and LeBron anyway. Yep. A- and you just, you just let it go instead of doing something stupid. Uh, which I, I just don't—I don't know if they could avoid doing something stupid with all the newness and with all all, all the all the things that have gone wrong this off season. I just want to press pause and take a deep breath.
0: I think that's uh, I think that's usually a right. Uh, I think that's usually the right way to go. Um, but last thing before we go, uh, what what is what is the thing you're most looking forward to uh, for next season? after everything that's happened this summer? If there's one thing you can point to and say, that's the one thing as an NBA person that I'm really dialed into and want to see how it goes.
1: Oh, man, there's a couple things for me, um, being being a little bit of a basketball geek. um, I want to see how the Celtics make this work. Um, uh, Gordon Hayward's a a really good dynamic player, but losing A.V. Bradley, uh, their their mix mix has changed. Um, I still think that... If they could have gotten away with, with trading Jay Crowder, then it just and, and retained Bradley, they, it just would have made this situation feel a little more secure. I'm still, I wonder if they're going to be just this offensively dynamic team that really can't guard any great perimeter guys anymore. We'll see. Um, James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, now James has an adult who is a star on his level who's going to hold him in check because that's the way Chris Paul is. And how is that going to work? Like, I'm not worried about um, those two guys sharing the basketball uh, as much as just Chris Paul is not going to stand for a lot of BS. And James has been able to do whatever James wants to do. And so how is that going to work when when Chris Paul calls him out on something? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and how do you manage that? I think D'Antoni is creative enough of an offensive mind. I think because Chris is is, uh, an older player... um, Now that that shrinking his minutes, you know, getting him 15 minutes a game off the court is good. So if he's only going to play 33, 34 minutes, you're still going to have times where where you can change your rotation enough where James can dominate the ball when Chris is off the floor. So I'm not worried about the basketball end as much as I'm just worried about um, uh, CP is, uh, is, I don't want to call him abusive, uh, but he is... uh, uh, (sighs) I mean, he is just a a really a really hard leader. He's a leader, but he just he's really he's really hard on his teammates, mm-hmm. and uh, and he doesn't care if you ask Blake Griffin. He doesn't care if you're a mega star. And so, you know, how is that all going to really work? Um, that's a huge question for me. And then the last thing, which I I I'm fascinated with, just as a basketball fan, is I want to see. Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins for a full year, and just see how that works because it just it runs so different than what everyone else is doing in the NBA. And uh, we can we can look at like how successful Memphis was um, with with playing two true post players together mm-hmm. uh, in Gasol and, and Zach Randolph, but Davis and DeMarcus are a totally different mix, and they're also just extraordinarily dominant on the offensive end. And if you look at the 17 games they played together, uh, neither one, DeMarcus averaged about 24 and 12, and I think Anthony Davis averaged about 28 and 10. Uh, They both can score together, um, because both of them can step outside, DeMarcus can step way outside, and Anthony kind of scores from all over the floor. And it's really interesting to see how all that comes together. They still don't have ideal talent around those guys. Um, and how in the world is it going to work if you play Rondo and, uh, holiday together? Um, they don't have, they, they don't have just the, the lights out, small forward, uh, shooter. Um, and just how all that's going to work. Like it, it could come together and they could be, you know, a four or five seed in the West even, or it could just be a disaster. And, uh, all of a sudden it's a disaster Cousins leaves in free agency, and Anthony wants out. But it just feels like this is just a, for the Pelicans, this is a defining moment uh, during this era in which they had Anthony Davis. And I'm just fascinated in how two big men can function in this, in this era of basketball um, and, 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 and how you can make them thrive. not sure Alvin Gentry is going to be creative enough to make it work, but I hope so because I like Alvin Gentry.
0: Yeah, me too, and I, I think that whole situation is going to be fascinating. You have Rajon Rondo there with Drew Holiday as you're starting backcourt, which is going to be uh, fascinating. I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of elements there. I agree with you on the other things. Uh, the one thing that we yeah, didn't mention that I'll point out is uh, I'm just very curious to see how this whole experiment with the Lakers goes, um, how does Lonzo Ball yeah. do, does Brandon Ingram take another step? Uh, You know, there's going to be all kinds of rumors around that team all season about, you know, potential future free agents, whether it's Russell Westbrook and James and uh, Paul George or LeBron or, uh, you know, DeMarcus Conn. I mean, there'll be there'll be a lot of talk about a lot of guys. And it will be, uh, to me, just really interesting to see how the Lakers handle that, how Mitch Johnson handles that, how Lonzo Ball handles that. uh, Can Brandon Ingram take that step that that a lot of people there like to think he can um, and become a really interesting player? Or is he just going to be kind of an auto quarter type? That's a nice player uh, that isn't a huge difference maker, um, which I think would really set the Lakers back quite a bit in terms of their overall ceiling as a franchise moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things um, there's a lot of things in in play there. So um, it, it will be to me uh, really interesting to see what happens there. But but I I'm with you, you know, specifically on the Pelicans. I, I think. You know that's got a chance to be maybe the most interesting team in the league this year. Both you know because of the, the, the impending uncertainty about the future with Demarcus, and if if they struggle, um, you know will Demarcus want to leave as in a trade in the, in, before the deadline? Uh, you know do they? Um, you know do they do they have, really have success and maybe convince him to stay? Um, you know there, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff at play there, and I'm really fascinated to see what happens with the Thunder too, with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Oh yeah, that how that works, and you know what do those guys decide to do? Does Russell Westbrook decide to sign his extension? I got every indication I got before free agency started was that he was never going to sign it. Now that now that Paul George is there, I definitely don't think he's going to sign it because I don't see what the point would be. Um, So you know, I think that you know chances are you know they'll probably both go into free agency next summer, and who knows what happens then? But um, it's going to be it's going to be really fascinating to me to see what happens there. It it should just be a great year for the league um i'm pretty i'm pretty fired up um i'm pretty fired up for the season ahead because there's just a ton of uh really interesting stories and really interesting teams and um you know i think it's going to be you know very very interesting to see how a lot of this stuff shakes out you fired up for a basketball season I'm i know shocked. right never happens <laughs> never happens uh are you um well th- thanks for stopping by man are you writing about anything um, are you waiting about anything besides the the local football team for a while? Or are you pretty well locked in on them for for the next few, several weeks?
1: Well, I'm locked in on them, but uh, I'm waiting for the Wizards. At some point, are going to announce uh, Wall Supermax and, and, and make a big deal out of it, which they should. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to spend some time with with, with Wall and uh, right in the moment, and then maybe maybe even I can can spend a little bit of time before a significant amount of time with them before, uh, before training camp um, and write a bigger piece. That's an aspiration that I have. I'll do some, some Maryland football and, and uh, so, some other college football um, and you know just kind of check in on everything that's going on locally. I'd like to, to still get a, get, a, get a couple baseball columns in before the end of the year. So that's what,
0: that's what my fall is looking like. You'll have plenty to do is the short answer. Okay, yes, uh, sir. You'll have plenty to do. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for taking a minute to, to get away from football for a bit to do this, and uh, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right, anytime, man. All right, thanks again to Jerry for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I always love his work, and he's a great. He's as good of a dude as he is a writer. So, um, really fun to work with him. So, thanks to him for coming on. You could follow him uh, on Twitter at Jerry Brewer. Uh, follow his work there, and as well as of course in the uh, in the Washington Post um, and on our website. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can find me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. Please, you know, find the podcast wherever you can get it, whether it's on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else and give us a rating and review, uh, hopefully five stars, really appreciate it. Um, You can follow, you can please uh, subscribe to my newsletter, the Monday morning post up. Uh, You could find that, uh, you know, I tweet it out every week. There's also a link in my uh, Twitter profile, but Uh, if you, if you would be interested in signing up for that, which is a weekly roundup of everything that's going on in the NBA, even during the summer, now that things are quieting down in August, we'll have one every week for you. Um, in order to do that, uh, go to, uh, WAPO.ST slash post-up newsletter. That's WAPO.ST slash post-up newsletter. Uh, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. As always, that's really appreciated. Um, thanks, you know, and thanks as always for listening to everybody uh probably won't be back with a podcast Friday hope to be back with one Monday or Tuesday and then have one or two a week here for the next few weeks on uh as we kind of roll through the summer but um with that thanks again as always for stopping by and we'll talk to you again soon